0: 4000 churches have been invited. We're preparing an overflow room across the hall, getting the video ready so that if or when it does overflow, they can go in there. But we want to see young people truly have an encounter with Jesus. And we're going to believe God for that. So let's let's pray right now. I don't want you to pray for any teenagers you know that need to be here that night. And let's believe God. Father, we just thank you right now. For the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that as we seek to reach out, that you're going to bless, and you're going to answer, and many, many teenagers are going to have a personal encounter with Jesus, have their lives changed, and Lord, we lift up that night and pray for a powerful outpouring of the Spirit of God, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, anoint Pastor Jason, Heidi, all the workers, all the volunteers, all the other pastors involved, bless their churches, bless their teenagers. Thank you, Lord, for canceling satanic assignments, delivering them from drugs and immorality and the occult. Thank you for darkness being driven back in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, anoint your word today. To speak to us, build us up in the faith, and help us to walk in wisdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said, don't sit down yet. I'm going to read to you two verses, and then uh, you can be seated. We're going to believe God to talk to us again about wisdom. How many of you need wisdom? I tell you, we need the wisdom of God. We've got all kinds of knowledge, but we are really in a drought when it comes to wisdom. So I want to read to you today out of Proverbs 3 you've probably read these same verses, uh, verses in Hebrews 12, but it has to do with correction. He says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Can you say with me, if God loves me, he's going to correct me and he's going to do it often." Because the Bible here tells us don't get weary of it, so that means it's happening pretty often. Amen? So he says, Neither be weary of his correction, for who the Lord loves he corrects, as a father, the son, in whom he delights. If God loves you, he's going to correct you. Amen. I don't expect a bunch of jump up and shouting today, because I'm going to be talking to you about The wisdom of being correctable. The wisdom of being correctable. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray you will feed us, strengthen our spirits, and give us wisdom. Lord, we desperately need your wisdom in a day, in a generation that has so little. Give us wisdom in your church, that we would grow up into the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, now will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your wisdom help me to be correctable in Jesus name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, grab your toes. You're going to need it. (laughs) I was telling the first service that I have to go over all these verses before I bring it to you. So I'm really worked over by the time I bring it to you. But I I do want to talk to you about the wisdom of being correctable. This is the ninth week we've been on wisdom. I think this is going to be my next book. I'm really praying about that. That their uh, these CDs have sold out. This has hit a nerve. We need wisdom. Because we're living in a very unwise generation. Filled with data. Filled with information. Filled with knowledge. But it really doesn't do you much good if you don't have wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the knowledge that you have. Wisdom... Begins with the fear of the Lord. If you don't have a fear of the Lord, you have zero wisdom. Wisdom begins with its starting point. It leaves the gate at the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing in the scales. Every one of my words, thoughts, actions, and attitudes. God's watching what I say, watching what I do watching what i think watching my attitudes and as long as i'm aware of that that gives me the 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 fear of the lord the respect for god i want to be sure that i'm right with him now this passage is also as i said quoted in hebrews that's probably where most of you read it and it tells us what we already know it tells us that we human beings do not like correction anybody here like correction don't raise your hand you're lying I don't like correction. You don't like correction. You know why? Because correction means to be shown to be wrong. I don't know anybody that likes to be shown that they're wrong. Correction comes to us when we've either taken a wrong path or made bad decisions. And like Balaam's donkey, the truth stands in our path. The truth stands in our path and tells us to stop and turn around. We're going the wrong way. Correction fine tunes us. It saved Balaam's life and it can save ours. True story on April 14th, 1912, as the famed Titanic sped through the icy waters of the Atlantic, the radio operator on board received a message from another ship in the same area. The message said, ice report, saw much heavy pack ice, and great number of large icebergs, end message. Receive that in the operating room. The Titanic's operator ignored the warning and replied with a simple thanks. Later on, another warning came, quote, Say, old man, we're stopped and surrounded by ice. The busy operator replied, shut up, shut up. I'm busy. The rest is sad history. The Titanic struck an iceberg at 1140 that night. Two and a half hours later, the unsinkable ship broke in half and sank, carrying with it 1,517 people who died because a simple message of correction had been ignored. And it's that way in life all the time. God will send us correction when we are just about to take a wrong path, a wrong road, make a wrong decision, go in a way that will be damaging to us. He corrects us. He warns us. He expects that we will listen to it and heed it and go in the the direction the correction is telling us to. It's been my experience through almost 30 years of pastoring God's people that Christians generally reject correction and resent the person bringing the correction. And I got to confess to you today. I got to tell you the truth. I don't like correction. I don't like being corrected any more than the next guy. And I can tell you exactly why. It hurts my pride to be corrected because it means that I've been going wrong and I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. And I don't like admitting that I was going a wrong way, that I took a wrong route. And I also, I don't like correction because it requires me to stop long enough to pay attention to something I'd rather ignore. So I don't like being corrected. I'm being real honest with you. There's never been one correction that came my way that I said, Hallelujah, that felt great. (laughs) But I got to tell you, everybody in here needs to be corrected and will be corrected. The Bible tells us that God is going to correct those he loves. And he loves everybody in this room. And he's going to correct us often. You know why? Because we often need correction. Without God's correction, we go the wrong way. We take the wrong path. We drift just as easily as we sleep. And so God has to correct us. Everybody needs it. A champion athlete will never be a champion athlete without a coach. The coach corrects each step the player takes which in turn is what makes him a champion. God corrects us so that we can be the people we really want to be. Husbands, wives, children, office staff, a boss, a businessman, all need correction. Say the person sitting next to you, I think I need some correction. Now about half of you did it. The other half are looking at me like, "Uh uh-huh, no, not me. Let's try it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think I need some correction. There you go. Give yourselves a hand. (laughs) I need some correction. That's why a lot of people avoid this word, because this word is a correcting word. Uh, As a matter of fact, it occurred to me as I prepared this message, That the Bible describes itself as being a book of correction. Now that's not all that it is. That's part of it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for four things. Listen to them. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So when I open up this Bible, there's one thing for sure it's always going to do. It's going to correct me. That's why some people never want to open this Bible. That's why some people will not go to a church that reads the Bible. Because the Bible is corrective. Because we need correcting. We need to be pulled up. We need to be set straight. God uses, the Bible says, uses the Word of God to prepare us and equip us for good works. The Bible says that this very Word, God's correcting, adjusts the direction we're taking fine-tunes our motivations, clarifies our vision. If you're an airline pilot, as we have a couple of them in here today, you can get off one degree, and at first it doesn't matter much, but within a few hours you are way, way, way off from your destination. You need to be corrected and brought back in line and put on the right path, and that's what God's correction does. If he didn't regularly correct us, the little things that need correcting would take us way off path. We need to be corrected. It's the love of God that corrects us. Correction doesn't come to criticize. Correction comes to keep us on the right path. Paul told us preachers, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, and then look at what we're to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's the preacher's call. When we preach a message. Any real good Bible message? Not the pablum that's out there in so many churches today. Not the, 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 the fat-free milk. But if it's a real message from God, it will always bring some correcting. Now the value of loving correction is manifold. Let me give you some reasons to receive God's correction. These are some really good ones. Correction will protect you from ignorance. You know that God puts no premium on ignorance. God gave us gray matter in between our two ears so we could think. And God wants us to have wisdom and he does not want us to be ignorant. Proverbs 15 31 says, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. How many of you in here want to be wise? amen, really wise, then you will listen to the rebukes or the corrections of life. You'll receive them and thank God for them because they'll make you wise. Now, not only that, but correction will make you prosperous in every sense of the word. And when I say prosperous, I don't just mean money. I'm talking about spiritually prosperous, walking in the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, uh, being influential for Jesus, growing into the fullness of the stature of Christ, producing the fruit of the Spirit, prosperous, where you're not walking around spiritually anemic, dragging your feet, no joy on your face, no gleam in your eye, no skip in your step, but you're just barely eking by because you're not spiritually prosperous. He says, correction will make you prosperous. Listen to what it says, poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Here's, here's a good reason. Correction will keep you alive. Anybody in here want to stay alive? Listen to the Bible, Proverbs fifteen ten: Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. I can tell you as a pastor of almost 30 years, I've buried people who I know died prematurely because they did not receive the corrections from God. God comes, and and I know that's a very heavy thing to say, but, you know, God's not playing with us, church. God is not playing church. He, He doesn't correct us just to hear himself talk, but God corrects us to save us from danger. He corrects us to deliver us from the snares and traps of the enemy. God corrects us to preserve us and protect us and keep us and guard us. I've seen people resist the, the corrections of God, refuse to hear the warnings of God, refuse to do what was the clearly revealed will of God, and they ended up in traps and snares that they could not get themselves out of, and some, a few, I know, died prematurely. Correction will keep you alive. Correction will correctional keep you in God's will for your life. It says in Proverbs 10, 17, He who keeps instruction is in the way... Of life but he who refuses correction goes astray it's a guarantee this is why I've got a broken record I harp on this this is my mantra I tell you all the time and I tell myself all the time you must stay in the Word of God every time we open up this word it it corrects us it guides us it edifies us it strengthens us it gives us wisdom and if we put this Bible down and get too busy for the Word and for the Lord It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you begin to drift. You will drift. I'm telling you today, you will drift if you get out of the Word of God. He says, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life. If you refuse correction and quit listening to it, you go astray. You go astray. I don't want to go astray. I want to be smack in the epicenter of the will of God for my life. So I stay in the word of God. I let it talk to me. I let it correct me. I am open to its correction. I welcome its correction. It doesn't feel good. It stings. No chastening, the Bible says, seems joyous for the moment. But afterwards, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised thereby. So that's the promise of God. It doesn't, it, it, it listen, you never spank a child where they love it. But it it yields obedience, God willing. Correction well received is proof of spiritual maturity. Proverbs 17.10 says, Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. And the Bible says, Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. The problem with receiving correction, I really believe what I'm about to say is true. The problem with receiving correction in our day has been exacerbated, aggravated by the philosophy of political correctness, which to me is the most damning philosophy to come down the pike since Darwinian evolution. Political correctness is a scourge. It is a false philosophy that has gripped our country, that has gripped the Western world, and is wreaking damage by the day because here's what PC teaches us. It teaches us to respond to correction with an attitude. Here's the attitude. Who are you to judge me? It's not right to judge others. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. Don't try to push your truth onto me, yada, yada, yada. That's crazy. First of all, that is saying there's no absolute truth, no real, total, absolute right and wrong, and that's wrong. There is God's Word, and God's Word does not bow to cultures. It doesn't bow to societies. It doesn't bow to generations. It doesn't bow to opinions. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the unchanging, unwavering, unswerving, unbending truth of God. It doesn't care what we think about it. And if we submit to it, it will bless us. But see, political correctness says we're not to judge anybody, and that's not what the Bible says. You say, oh, pastor, yes, it does. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Read it in context. Jesus was talking about not judging people with the wrong kind of judgment, not judging them unlovingly, not judging them harshly, not judging them without knowing the facts, not judging them when there's a great big two-by-four in your own eyes. But Jesus also said, you will know them by their fruits. Well, how can I know somebody by their fruits unless I'm judging whether there's worms in the fruit or not? you got to judge. you got to judge to stay alive. But see, this attitude of don't judge. We're not to judge one another. That's not what God's called us to do. Then that means I'm not correctable. Political correctness teaches me to not be correctable. And if I'm not correctable, I will never grow up. American culture right now is very similar to that of Jeremiah's day. God's indictment on the people of Jeremiah's day, his people, was this, quote, They have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to learn, Jeremiah 5.3. three. Refused to receive correction, refused to learn, refused to change, refused to listen to God's correction. And there was only one thing left for a people like that, and that was God's judgment. And my concern for America is we have hardened our heart against God. We have embraced political correctness. Our attitude is don't judge me. Don't tell me what's right and wrong. Don't push your values over on me. I am not teachable. I'm not correctable. And the only thing left for a people like that is judgment. We need to pray for an awakening on this country. A spiritual, red-hot, Holy Ghost, devil-stomping, sin-cleansing awakening. But for the believer, the Bible says there is great wisdom in receiving instruction. I found 46 passages in Proverbs alone. Think about that. Concerning the value of receiving correction and the folly of rejecting correction in proverbs alone 46 passages let me give you a couple more these really jumped at me proverbs 12:1 whoever loves instruction loves knowledge but he who hates correction is stupid i'm so glad the bible said that and not me he who hates correction say it with me can't get any more clear than that can you God comes to correct you and you don't want it? You, you just played stupid. How many of you have ever played stupid in your life with God's correction? I have. And how many of you can say, I paid a price for it? Oh, yeah. Look at that. Woo, those hands went up. We know. Proverbs 9, 8. Don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they'll love you. Commentator Matthew Henry wrote, It's the character of a wise man that he's very willing to be reproved and therefore chooses to spend time with those who both by their words and their example will show him what is amiss in him. The Bible says we ought to be hanging around with the godly. We reach the lost, but we run with, spend our time with, have as our good friends the godly because the godly will correct you Just their behavior. Iron sharpens iron. So a man's countenance sharpens the countenance of his friend. The Bible says those that reject correction despise their own souls. But he that hears reproof and amends the faults he is reproved for gets understanding by which his soul is secured from bad ways and directed in good ways. We Christians really need to come to terms with something here. That One of the ways that God gives us to overcome sin is correction. Correction will deliver us from sin. Correction will point out a sin, and it will deliver us from sin. I don't know about you, but I need that. Now, let me tell you where correction comes from. It comes from four places. first one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit corrects us. There is probably not a person in this room who is a child of God who will make it to their pillow tonight before God has somehow, some way, corrected them within by the Holy Spirit over something. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said when He comes, He will convict, He will correct the world of sin. That means the Holy Spirit is a convictor, He's a corrector. And thank God He came to live inside of us because He says He comes to lead us and guide us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit living inside of us, I mean, how many times a day you say something, he says, oh, let me correct you on that. Or you think something, and he says, oh, let me correct you on that. Or you're there in rush hour traffic, somebody pulls in front of you and slows down, and something rises up in you that is not of Jesus, and he corrects you. Right there. He's a corrector. Amen? The Holy Spirit is. But also the Word of God corrects us. We've already read it. It's profitable for correction. Other people, parents, friends, other believers, pastors. Listen, uh, correction comes from many, many, many different ways and different sources. I mean, Balaam was corrected by a donkey. A donkey can correct you. You married people, look up at me. Don't look at your spouse. Don't do that. I don't want you in trouble on the way home. But you know what? God spoke through a donkey and corrected Balaam through a donkey. It doesn't matter where it comes from. What matters is the correction. And guess what? Our conscience is the fourth way God corrects us. A clear conscience is primarily the result of having received correction. Do you know that very few of us would be in this church today were it not for the correction of God? We would not be here. But we receive correction many, many times in many different areas. And so God has been able to do things in our life and get us to a point where we're in church worshiping Him, fellowshipping with His people, seeking to learn about Him. Now here's what it all comes down to. When we get corrected, how can you respond wisely? Because when correction comes from the Bible, from the Holy Ghost, from other people, from our conscience... We can respond badly. We can respond well. We can say, phooey, I don't want it. Leave me alone. Or we can say, I welcome this correction, and I'm going to grow from this correction. So how can I respond to it wisely? Let me give you a couple of points. First, don't point your finger at the corrector. Here's what we do when somebody corrects us. If God uses a human being, we, we point a finger at them. We get angry. We get defensive. We, we get offended. And we start pointing out all of the faults of the corrector. Why they have no right to correct us. You parents that have kids, say amen. Because in that, what happens? You correct them. Who are you to correct me? You've got these shortcomings and these faults, and you this and you that. Listen, when God goes to the trouble of correcting us. Don't turn and do what Adam did. God came to Adam after the fall and said, what have you done? He said, she did it. (laughs) And then the woman looked around and looked at the serpent and said, he did it. And God said, no, you're all going to have to own your own part in what you're being corrected for. They played the blame game. And the blame game has been going on ever since Adam and Eve. This is what we do. We blame others instead of letting God correct what needs fixing in us. Is this not true, church? If you were to ask me, what is the emotional maturity level of the United States of America right now? I would tell you, third grade. Because what do you see in the news? Uh, Politicians blaming each other constantly ad nauseum. Everybody is in the blame game. He did it, she did it, they did it. It's their fault, it's not my fault, it's theirs. And because of that, nobody ever owns their own stuff. Can I tell you, adults own their own stuff. If you don't own it, you're never going to grow up. The men of Sodom responded this very way to Lot. They said this to Lot. Lot had been correcting them. He had been trying to talk to them about their lifestyle that was wicked. And they said this to him. You came in to live here temporarily. And now you presume to be our judge? Political correctness. Who are you to judge us? And then they started picking apart whatever they could find wrong with them. You're not even of us. You're not from Sodom. You're an outsider coming in. You're an alien. Who are you to correct me? And they rejected Godly correction that would have saved them ferocious judgment. Can I give you a fact of life? There's never going to be, when it's a human being that God is using, there's never going to be a perfect corrector. What is God expecting us to do? Don't worry about them. Their correction is going to come at a later time. God is fully able to correct them. It's not about them. It's about you and me. When we're being corrected, it's not about the corrector, it's about us. We even get into this in marriages. In marriage, have you ever noticed you get into a fight about something and then you get about 10 minutes in, you can't even remember what it first started about. Because everybody, you're both pointing the finger at it. Well, you this and you that. We go from hysterical to historical. In 1978, I remember the day. You said, well, I remember in 1969, the day you said on Christmas Eve when the kids were around the tree. And we go, blame, blame, blame. And, and, and it becomes, who can win the argument? You know, you can win an argument and lose the war. I'm gonna tell you, the quickest way out have an argument in a marriage is just admit your own stuff and don't worry about the spouse. Well, if I don't correct them, who will? God. <laughs> it's just that simple. Well, I believe I'm God's instrument. No, more times than not, you're not. Well, if I don't do it, who will? So you go find somebody to talk to them or you leave little tracks around the house. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to leave the correction up to God. Wisdom says, wisdom says, focus on the correction, not the corrector. Don't be bitter towards the people who correct you. Scripture says, correct the wise and they're going to love you, not be bitter at you. We usually get offended with the person who corrects us. We get offended with them. We complain about the way they corrected us. Their tone was wrong. Their method was wrong. They they weren't fully, completely, perfectly biblical. (laughs) They didn't do Matthew 18, 15 just right. Hogwash. What you're doing is you're deflecting onto them or off of yourself and onto them so that the focus gets off of you who need the correcting. Whether or not, listen, I've been corrected many, many times in my life, and I gotta tell you, when it was a human being, more times than not, they didn't do it just right. But I had to do this. What is the corrector saying? Not what can I find wrong with them? We don't like to talk to them, we try to avoid them, we don't go to the church where they go to anymore. We pick up our marbles and go home. We pick up our marbles and take our marbles to another church. But when we get there, we got the marbles with us. And all the baggage dragging behind. We talk about them to others to make ourselves look better. But the bottom line is, folks, it's not about the corrector or their method. It's about the content of the correction, which leads me to my second and last point. Listen carefully. Here's what it comes down to. Ask yourself. When correction has come my way from the Holy Ghost, from the Word, from a person, from my conscience, ask yourself, is there any truth to this? That's what I'm after. I want to know if there's any truth in it. Because if there's truth in it, I want it. If there's truth in it, you want it. Because if you don't take the truth about it, how are you ever going to grow? God told us I'm going I'm to correct you often enough for you to feel like you're weary of it so that it will yield spiritual growth, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So you want what's true. So if there's any truth to it, receive it. David the psalmist, King David, the man for God's own heart, slipped into a darkness in his life for a season that to this day staggers commentators, Bible scholars, it's hard to wrap your mind around. King David decides to commit adultery with Bathsheba, but that wasn't even the worst of it. She turned up pregnant. He didn't confess it, he covered it up, hatched a scheme to assassinate her husband. In a terrible, pathetic, tragic, heartbreaking, heart-rending way, he had Uriah, her husband, assassinated. When he thought he was serving the king, out on the battlefield serving his king, his king had him assassinated. Just boggles the mind. For three years, David did not repent. For three years, he refused to get right with God. He tells us about it in the Psalms. He said, my bones felt like they were drying up. I was in an arid, dry, dead, spiritual life. My connection with God was broken. My relationship with him was shattered. I was living like a dead man walking. I had no life. Then God sent a prophet, a corrector, and looked right at him and said, you are the man. And now David could have called immediately for a couple of guys to come and lop his head off. He could have refused the correction and gone on. But he didn't. David broke right on the spot. He broke. He owned it. He took responsibility for his own actions. That which was true, he received. He said, I have sinned. I acknowledge my transgressions against you. You only have I sinned. And he owned it. And that was the beginning of the healing of his life. He was the king. He didn't have to receive correction from anybody. The money was going to keep coming in. He was still the king. But he had to have that walk with God. He was missing. Not one psalm was written during that time. Not one song came out of his mouth during that time. He was blocked up. He was locked up. He was hurting. And correction came to set him free. And he said, I receive it. It's true. Now, if it's true, receive it. If there's truth to it, change it. David didn't accuse the prophet. He didn't challenge his authority to correct him. He prayed for God's help to change. I love this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a persevering spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, he's right. The correction is right. I receive it. Help me to change. I I was... uh, When Kathy and I had just gotten married and before we were married, I met her in a a college and career group I was leading. And after we got married, I was still leading that group, and it grew to 500 people, 500 college and career. It was a church. So I thought, it's time they brought me on staff because this was all part-time. They were giving me $100 a month. I'm just being honest with you, which I thought was incredible. I was embarrassed to take it. First time they gave it to me. But I got 500, so I go to the pastor. I had a special meeting with him. I was all prayed up. (laughs) Went in there, and I said, I just want to let you know, pastor, that we got 500 people, and I would love to be on this staff. He looked at me. He said, what happened to your college? Oh, I kind of got out of college for a while. You know, I just... Let's not talk about college. Let's talk about those college and career. He said, Jeff... You need to finish college. If I hire you full-time, you'll never finish. I can't do it, son. It started here. It started rumbling up. It made me mad. 500 people, he doesn't see my value. All these things. I got up, gave a great big hallelujah, thank you. I was lying, it's not the way I felt. I walked out. (laughs) <laughs> I walked out, and before I even got to our apartment, I knew he was right. Don't you hate it when you know somebody's right? I knew he was Because God told me to go to college. And I hated to admit it, but the Holy Ghost was saying, Jeff, he told you the truth. He's correcting you. And so you can either reject it, pick up your marbles, go to the next church, and find some place that will hire you. Or you can listen to somebody who has the word of the Lord over your life. And so... I said, he's right, he's right. Man, he's right. That week, I went and re-enrolled, finished my degree, went on and got a master's, went on and got a doctorate. Listen, I, you would not have the preacher you have if I had not listened to correction, because I would have gone on with never going back. The corrector, the correction. So that leads me to the last thing. I changed. And then you gotta be thankful for the correction. Following God's correction, David prayed, "O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will show forth your praise. David was saying, Thank you, Lord. I want to praise and I want to thank you for your correction. It has restored to me the joy of my salvation. It has resulted in making me whiter than snow. It's restored my relationship with you. And now it has opened the door for me to teach transgressors your ways. Thank you, Lord, for correction. That's what the wise person does. So say with me, receive it, it. change it, thank God for it. Can we stand together? And please don't go anywhere. I'm going to ask us to be seated again in just a moment for just a couple of minutes to watch a video. that is going to bless you. Pastor Ray and them, if they would make their way down here now, Frank, uh, we're going to bring in the Strike Force kids that went to England. But I want to pray with you. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? I want to pray for you. I love you in the Lord. I'm so thankful that God's allowed me to be your pastor. I want to see you blessed. I want to see you successful. I want to see you filled with his spirit, walking in victory over sin. I want to see your way prosperous. I want you to have peace on your face, a smile on your lips, a skip in your step. I want to see you become very influential for Jesus. A lot of that not going to happen without correction and receiving it. If you can say, "Pastor, I needed this today, and I need to receive correction in some area of my life," would you raise your hand? Amen. We all will, Father. See these precious people with their hands raised. Grace us to embrace your correction and change what needs to be changed. Not resent it, but embrace it. And we thank you for it, Lord. and Thank you for loving us enough to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.